재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Time for News Digest. Let's get some analysis of some of the top issues of the past week. Our first guest, our good friend from Korea Institute for Defense Analyses, Dr. Kim Cheru on the line. Hello. Hello, Andy. Hello to you, sir. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. A lot to talk about. First, China announcing some sanctions against North Korea, uh, including banning imports of coal, iron, uh, gold, titanium, vanadium, etc. This is a key source of revenue for North Korea. Uh, they are saying that these newly introduced trade sanctions, Dr. Kim, is an unprecedented move. Uh-huh. What's your take on this? How unprecedented is China's move? China's move is a very specific step to enforce the sanctions. Uh, Beijing cannot import coal, gold, and rare earth elements from North Korea, and also cannot export several key items, including aviation fuel. Um, but the thing is, the Beijing has officially announced the following measures to put those sanctions into action rather than just a, a verbal promise. Mm. The new trade sanctions are not a cutting the lifeline, though, but a kind of a pressing the backbone of North Korean economy. China must strictly follow the United Nations until the Kim Jong-un regime gives up its nuclear ambitions once and for all. That's my understanding. Now, what kind of ramifications do you think that these sanctions, if any, would have on North Korea on their bilateral relationship? The bilateral relationships may have a triggering effect for another so-called arduous march like the severe famine in the 1990s. The Kim Jong-un regime is starting to understand the bill for the nuclear power has come due. China's playbook, playbook of North Korea is entering into a new chapter. That's my analysis. Uh, particularly Xi Jinping's meeting with the President Park Geun-hye at the nuclear security summit in Washington implies a uh, very significant collaborations in terms of execution of the sanctions. And finally, how significant do you think China's latest move will be in successfully implementing this new round of sanctions regimes? It depends on the Chinese sincerity. Actually, Kim Jong-un's intention to be recognized as a nuclear weapon state is facing an unexpected hurdle of China. That's the fact. But on top of that, Any further nuclear ballistic missile test will be met with additional sanctions. That's a clear lesson. That also could jeopardize the regime's uh, survival even. Hmm. Whether China has implemented the sanctions faithfully will be determined by verifiable actions after the at least 90 days of implementation. It's just one month only. So... um, the uh, Kim Jong-un uh, didn't expect the uh, Chinese strong enforcement, and so he's facing a critical dilemma at this juncture. Mm. Let's move on to another issue, Dr. Kim. The Ministry of National Defense says that North Korea's disruptions of the global positioning mm-hmm. system signals here in South Korea started last week, uh, stopped as of uh, Wednesday. However, they're going to closely watch this. Uh, what do you think was the intention behind North Korea's disruption of the GPS? On North Korea's GPS jamming seems to be targeting kind of aircraft navigation equipment, also instigating social chaos in this country and disruption of uh, ICT infrastructure of the northern part of uh, this peninsula. Uh, But the uh, 
North Korean operation has not yet resulted in any major troubles in all intended goals, uh, particularly uh, the aviation system is a critical thing, but the aviation has both uh, GPS inertial navigation system that is immune to jamming attacks. Of all, the jamming signals from the north reached at low intensity of just 45 decibels at its maximum output. However, the jamming attack should be taken seriously uh, as a kind of a provocative uh, ac uh, actions by the North. Has North Korea launched similar jamming assaults before, and, and w what were their goals then? Yes, North Korea launched a similar jamming assault three times between 2010 over uh, and 2012. The these of uh, latest jamming provocations are the, the first time. So North Korean military tried to check the Seoul's um, kind of electronic countermeasures. That's my uh, observation. The point is not the effect of actual damages, but the military's readiness of uh, electronic countermeasures. Particularly, North Korean military sought to disrupt or and to test South Korean military defense readiness uh, in preparation for his so-called asymmetric uh, capabilities in these even uh, electronic mm. warfare capabilities. And what impact does it have on South Korea's military? And does South Korea have anti-jamming technologies to prevent uh, GPS disruptions? So obviously, South Korean military should be part of its uh, system to protect, uh, protect the GPS signals to counter North Korea's jamming attempts. Uh, but unfortunately, Seoul uh, must proceed to coordinate uh, with the United States military global positioning system to deal, deal with uh, Pyongyang's growing artillery threat. The jamming-proof GPAs is complicated and requires a considerable degree of confidentiality. So it's very hard. On top of that, uh, overseas sales of the U.S. Uh, military GPS are subject to approval by Congress. So uh, uh, my observation is that North Korea may be developing a kind of electromagnetic pulse weapons, so-called mm. uh, EP, you know, EMP uh, weapons, to neutralize the Seoul's warfare, uh, warfare capabilities at, the, at an initial stage of war. So they try to imply, uh, show off their attempts to develop those new uh, type of weapons. And we're going to move to our final topic, Dr. Kim. Um, mm -hmm. A major political gathering in North Korea. They're going to hold their first Congress of its uh, Workers' Party next month. This is the first such mm -hmm. gathering in 36 years. Uh, in your view, what are the chances of North Korea launching a fifth nuclear test ahead of this uh, party Congress in May? Yes, like many uh, experts predict, the uh, possibility of fifth nuclear test shouldn't uh, never be ruled out uh, uh, Pyongyang is capable of conducting additional nuclear tests at any time. But uh, I'd rather uh, uh, put uh, my analysis a little bit uh, weaker than the other uh, mainstream's predictions. Because Kim Jong-un may be waiting more on, you know, uh, having a successful uh, convening of Workers' Party Congress in the early May, then mm. conducting the fifth nuclear test, is still they have uh, they've already ready for test.
should decide to move forward, but uh, the Kim Jong-un may be contemplating uh, how to and when to, wants to run a, a big event to publicize his leadership at the Workers' Party Congress, particularly Chinese unexpected uh, execution of sanctions may be a critical point to consider mm. for the Kim Jong-un. We are almost out of time, but I guess the final question, Dr. Kim, is do you expect that North Korea will announce some significant changes at this party congress? It will be, obviously, the first congress for Kim Jong-un. Yes, Kim Jong-un will call for a need to create an unprecedented golden age for communist revolution or providing a new propaganda slogans related to the regime stability and the nuclear power status, in addition to uh, suggesting a peace treaty with the United States. I'd like to underline the uh, he would likely to uh, proclaim the start of the Kim Jong-un era, both in name and reality. Uh, the arrival of Kim Jong-un era is a critical juncture toward the regime instability instead of a new era of uh, Kim Jong-un's success of the North Korean regime. So they are entering it into the big uh, problem uh, phase of the new chapter in the North Korean history. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting time indeed. Dr. Kim Chadu, as always, always appreciate your analysis. Thank you so much for joining us. Have it's a great my pleasure. Weekend. Thank you. That was uh, Dr. Kim Chadu, our next guest, and we're going to talk politics. Professor Choi Gyeong from Hongik University, our good friend, get some uh, thoughts on this uh, general election coming up in just a little while. Uh, D- Professor Cho, hello. Hello. Hi, I'm well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we got five days to go. Early voting has started. A lot of campaigning going on. I just want to initially get your thoughts on these opinion polls, if we may. Obviously, now there's a blackout. Uh, you're not allowed to cite anything ahead of this uh, date in the lead up to the elections. You can cite the old, maybe more inaccurate polls. Uh, generally speaking, what, do you, what are your thoughts on um, public opinion polls here in Korea and how they're conducted and uh, how good a job they've been doing? I think um, there is a big question as to, you know, how accurate they are, um, generally speaking. I was speaking to some uh, some journalists from other countries, and they were really surprised at how media organizations in Korea were able to uh, provide a, a poll result essentially every, every other day. Yeah. Um, they were telling me that, you know, for them, it takes them weeks of planning to right. conduct a poll and so you know they were like how do they do this it must be the bali bali culture <laughs> but um i think generally speaking particularly for um for the general elections where regional uh, voting patterns are important these poll results are not so accurate and so what we had had been seeing up until a couple of days ago before the blackout period I think they can only really be a very, very rough guidelines. And you will also notice that different polls show very different results. And so you really have to look at the totality of the various poll results and try to kind of draw draw your own conclusions. So when, when they are talking about the Pali Pali culture and they're churning out these polls, the flip side of that is in other countries, this is a very serious endeavor. It takes planning. It's a very expensive operation, obviously, to contact individually all these people. So perhaps we're talking about grains of salt that must be taken for the average voter when they're looking through these public opinion polls? Uh, 
I think that's right, yes. Um, and the reason why they take these polls so seriously is because they can actually have real impact on how, particularly how swinging voters vote, because, you know, um, there are very well-known um, phenomena such as the bandwagon effect or the underdog effect where, um, you know, you are not quite decided as to whom you're going to vote and you think, oh, that candidate is really gaining in popularity. Perhaps he's got some good ideas and he might do some good for, for my district. And so you get on that bandwagon along with everybody else. Alternatively, there's the underdog effect, which is, you know, you, um, you have a candidate whom you had perhaps had some sympathies in the past. Um, you weren't really decided, but you see that he's performing rather poorly. And you, so you think, well, I should really give my support to him or her. Um, and so essentially sort of rooting for the underdog. And also when it's a really close contest, you know, let's say there is just a few um, percentage point differences between two candidates and then you might really sort of think, okay, my vote might count in this right. so I'd better come and, and do the deed. So it can actually have a real impact. Overall, then, it is good that we have a blackout period, in your view, uh, as opposed to a country like the United States? Um, in a way, I do, because... Uh, and I'm speaking very generally here, sure, sure. Um, but I think... Uh, so culturally, um, people tend to be a little bit more swayed by the general sort of pattern mm. um, here in Korea, simply because we are much more a collective-oriented society culturally, I think. And so it's probably a good idea to have this um, period before the election where uh, these results are not shown, particularly because... As we mentioned earlier, the results are not that accurate. They are not, and we have now the uh, additional factor of early voting, a, a kind of a different demographic that usually comes out for election day voting. We mean uh, maybe more younger, more upwardly mobile people. Swing voters, I don't know how you feel about this. Is this going to be a decisive factor, uh, especially in the capital area, um, that if you say uh, 35 40% base for Henry and then the rest kind of scattered among these various opposition forces. Um, th that's not always accurately reflected in the polls, right? Right, yeah. Um, you know, they, uh, sort of the sociologists assess that, that we, you know, the Liberal Party and the, the Conservative Party each have a fairly solid base of around 30-35%. The Conservative Party slightly more. Right. The, um, the Progressive Party is slightly less. Um, I think swing voters um, uh, will have some effect, but not as big an impact in this election um, as they have had in the past, simply because I think many of them are going to stay away. Mm. They, um, I get the sense that a lot of them are particularly disillusioned um, in this uh, instance for, for this election, um, given the behavior of the all the major parties, yeah. um, and they probably feel that there is not really, you know, a, one party that they can support, and they may really show their dismay and displeasure by simply by staying away um, from the election, the voting booth. So 
it may also be that rather than the swing voters, um, how the the Liberal Party supporters are going to be split among mm-hmm. the um, the progressive parties that may have a bigger impact in this election. Right. And so turnout being key here, as you say, if these swing voters are disillusioned, they feel like it doesn't really matter who we vote for. It's nothing that's going to change. It's not going to really better our day-to-day lives. Let's... I don't think we're going to get a chance to talk to you before Election Day, so I just want to get your thoughts on what we can expect right now. Early voting has occurred. looks like turnout is a bit higher than expected there. We'll see what happens on Election Day. As for the opposition, you said there's a split. A lot of these districts are going to be split up among the opposition. Um, there, There is an expectation that they might lose seats. Uh, there's now been some brinksmanship. Professor uh, Kim Jong-in, the interim leader, saying he will step down if they don't at least make maintain the current 107 level. I've heard Moon Jae-in coming out, going into Honam, saying, if you guys are going to show no support for me, I'm going to also take that as a sign and also uh, leave the field. What do you think are the intent? Is this kind of putting your neck on the line supposed to kind of ramp up the base and get them energized to go out to the polls? Well, I think for Mr. Kim Jong-in, there's really no other real viable alternative. You know, he he, um, really put himself on the line by uh, putting himself as number two right. representative MP candidate. Um, and also the brinkmanship game that he played with the Domingue party. And I believe him when he says that he really, really wants to change the party from inside out. And so if, you know, he's taken on this role and he's sort of, um, he's, Acted the the sort of the, the totalitarian, you know, yeah. um, uh, on the basis that he can turn things around for the Minju and sort of you know pull them out from the pit that they had dug themselves into. In and so if he fails by his own standard, and he said that he'd you know be able to get 107 seats, then I think he has no choice but to to resign from his post. And you know him representing as one of the Representative MP is not going to be viable in that um, instance, and I think Mr. Moon as well. He, it's, he's really sort of trying to reassert his leadership and um, trying to redeem himself in the eyes of Honan people. Yeah, and that certainly is going to be a dilemma going forward, especially uh, depending on how well the uh, People's Party with Anchosu end up doing, and if these split votes really turn out to be maybe a wash for Senuri, which I guess should be our final question. Again, you talked about it last time, 180 out of the uh, 300 seats, this uh, supermajority, they can pass a lot of contentious bills, including changing some of the ways the National Assembly does business. Uh, Kim Musung uh, wants to get that number. Now I heard a little panic saying, oh, you might not even get 150, maybe 130 seats, uh, depending on these districts. What do you think with Senuri right now? Well, I mean, I I'd be awfully surprised if they didn't return with a the majority. They may not get the 180 right. seats, um, which means that they won't be able to change the parliamentary laws to make sure that you know they can just do the business with yeah. simple majority rather than super majority. But um, them saying that you know uh, they may only return with 140 or even as low as 130 seats, it's really just another strategy, a scaremongering mm-hmm. tactic to make mm-hmm. sure that they have a large turnout of what they call the house rabbits, you know, the, their, yeah. their base supporters, so that, so that they don't stay away um, on the election day. Um, but given how they've really let 
the people down in terms of not delivering on the, any of their promises, um, in terms of how they have been, they have treated, you know, um, anybody who's not really, really pro-part like Mr. Yoo Seung-min and all, all the others that we've talked about in the past. Um, again, the people have to really show Senri that they're not simply puppets. You know, being who who can be pulled um, at Senri's will, particularly the the people from Yangnam. I think you know, yeah. we saw those Senri um, MPs sort of kneeling and begging for forgiveness, give give us another chance, etc. And it's another show for yeah. this election. And I really hope that um, the people don't fall for that show and really look at what kind of candidates will be representing them um, after 13th of April. Right. Easier said than done, but obviously uh, we will have to see. Uh, Professor Cho, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too.